had decided I'm going to be a 3D animator, but they had like a mandatory rigging 101 kind of class and it turns out it kind of clicked with me. I kind of liked it. It wasn't hard for me, but the teacher said one thing. He said, oh yeah, you can usually find a job easily as a technical artist. And so I was like, oh my gosh, I'm in. Welcome everyone to Straight Ahead, an animation podcast where we spotlight rising black, indigenous, and people of color who are the future voices of the animation industry. I am Ray Mendoza-Landa, one half of your co-host. And I'm Yuki Okamura-Wong, the other half of our whole host. This month is a little different. Like last August, we're taking a break from our usual format and interviewing those with a little more experience or unique jobs sort of close to the animation space. With that said, our guest this week is Grace Han. She is a Korean-American and VFX Rigger, which is not quite animation. Uh, We'll get more into that. I'm super excited for this. And Grace, would you mind telling us a bit more about yourself? Gosh, you already said everything about me. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Hi, yeah, I'm Grace. Uh, I'm a Rigger in the VFX industry. I graduated from SCAD, and I'm currently working at the VFX Studio Digital Domain. But before we get into the interview, the way we like to start off on Straight Ahead is by playing a little game called In Between. We're going to give you two similar choices, and then you have to choose in between the two of them and let us know why. Awesome. I'll start us off with the first question. Would you rather hang out at the Galleria Mall from 16 or hang out at the House of Mouse from House of Mouse? I would probably hang out at the mall. Just because I think I'm probably too big to fit into anything at the House of Mouse at this point. (laughs) House of Mouse is a regular sized venue. Yeah, Yeah. but like, I don't know. Maybe. You'll just, you'll be there with other, like if that giant demon from Fantasia can fit in a booth, I think you can fit. (laughs) Chernabog. Yeah. (laughs) No, and also, you know, I I grew up in New Jersey, right? So Mm -hmm. it's just, Mm -hmm. I always had a mall around me. Somewhere. Mm. I guess it's like uh, something I'm familiar with. Mm. Plus, mm-hmm. it, it seemed like that mall had everything. Like khakis. Yeah, there was a, yeah, there was a lot to do at the mall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Yuki? What would you do? The Galleria Mall from 16 or House of Mouse? I, I feel like my initial reaction is House of Mouse because I want to meet... <laughs> Mickey? Like the Disney villains. Because like, oh, okay. like Disney characters come and hang out there and stuff. I don't know. I just think that would be cool being like, oh, my God, like Ursula, she's over there. Or whatever. <laughs> Even though I guess it's dangerous, it'd just be really cool to like, I, I don't know, see famous people around and then watch a show or whatever. Right. That's like the premise of mm-hmm. House of Mouse is they watch skits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I would exactly. like to do that. That would be fun. Yeah. Like my initial reaction too was like thinking House of Mouse, but like, I don't know, but if all the Disney cartoons, what if they're all snooty? What if they're all stuck up? <laughs> That's fine. Then I can spill the tea later. Then I could be like, hey, you know that that person? They actually suck in, in person, like, in real life. <laughs> you know, it turns out they're a villain for a reason, guys. <laughs> <laughs> nah, nah. Yeah, but I think I think the Galarmira Mall, like, yeah, there's a lot of stuff to do there. Plus, like, yeah, I just like hanging out with people. Just having different options to do mm. versus just, like, because, yeah, like, it's nice to sit down and watch a show, but I feel like majority of the time I just like hanging out with people and being able to talk to people. And like, obviously, I can't talk during the screening and stuff. So I think, yeah, hanging out at the mall probably sounds more fun. So I probably would do that. 
and I think the mall has a theater in it, doesn't it? Yeah, Best I believe of both so. worlds right there. Um, just True. invite your Disney villain friends over. Done. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It's true. You're right. Mm-hmm. All right. Great. Last question. Would you rather have the Death Note from Death Note or the journal number three from Gravity Falls? Uh, either way, it's miserable, isn't it? Um, it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, yeah. a sad time. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is tough. This, this oh, one's man. really tough, actually. Uh, I'm, let's go for the journal because it has pictures. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that's a good point. <laughs> Enough to convince me. <laughs> what about you, Ray? Oh, uh, that's tough. I think I think I would also go for journal number three just because mm, okay. I think that Death Note is that's too much power in my hands. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if I want to play God. Yeah, a, a part of me says like you don't have to use it. You can just lock it away. You can be responsible for saving so many lives, right? But at know, the that, same time, true. it's like, but do I even want that responsibility? It's it's <laughs> such a burden. Yeah, but the, the second I touch it, even if I decide to lock it away and not use it, uh, Ryuk is going to be over my shoulder just true. bugging the hell out of me. Asking the for God. apples and shit. Yeah. <laughs> and so like, yeah, I just, nah, too much. Too much. Journal number three. I'll, I'll, I'll carry the burden of journal number three, but I, I don't think I can do the death note. <laughs> You don't want a fun Shinigami friend. No, no. <laughs> a fun I, I, demon friend. Picture squad. Picture squad. <laughs> for a similar reason, I would probably logically go for the journal number three, but man, getting a death note does sound pretty appealing. You get a death note and you get a new best friend for life. Yeah, exactly. That's how, yeah. And you could get special eyes. My brand. But that's only if you like you cut your lifespan in half. <laughs> Maybe it's worth it. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, it, I mean, it's definitely more lighthearted in Gravity Falls, right? Uh, uh, like, you know, mystery solving, the supernatural, that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. I think the Death Note would be would be pretty cool. That is a lot of power. I'm not that power hungry. Does it only work on humans? <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, I think it's only on humans because you have to write down their name and picture their face or whatever. What if, what if like you had a you know because like people name their pets and things can ha- you can assign names to things. Does that yeah. suddenly qualify them? Uh, no, I, I'm just wondering. You, you would write down somebody's pet. No, the, no, no, no. I, I'm trying to find out how it works. Okay, so that I For can science. So I can target like say. I don't know, like a, a really big bug. You can name it Henry. A really big bug. Oh, oh, like a bug in your heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering what the use cases are for this that are actually like non-threatening to to just life as a whole. <laughs> I I think it might only be a- applicable to humans. You know, you know, you know. Can't say I didn't try. <laughs> this is really good. On that note, thanks so much for playing in between with us. Uh, and to our audience, if you have any suggestions for future in-between questions, send us a message either on Twitter or Instagram at straightaheadap or send us an email at straightaheadpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, with that said, again, yeah, we're continuing, we're continuing our special August month having an amazing special guest who's either a little bit more experienced or just within the scope or outside the scope of animation. Grace, to kind of start off, could you tell us what is the role of a rigger in the VFX pipeline? 
regardless of the industry, the role of rigging is that it comes uh, before animation and after, I guess, modeling. So you pretty much create the controls and like everything that the animator needs to actually get this character moving and to pose it and uh, to do their best work. Mm-hmm. I guess that's like the closest way I can describe it. We're like, think of it as like a, a puppet. So like someone makes like a wooden doll and then you attach the strings as the rigger. And then animation would come in and um, actually use like the control of the strings and the, what is that like stick at the top that they, yeah, use? Yeah, yeah. they would use that, right? To, to make yeah. it move. So it's like, it's like that weird in-between job. Mm. Mm-hmm. What kind of like issues have you run into like breaking certain models? Like, have you found... Has it had to be any kind of back and forth? I was like, hey, the design of this model is actually kind of difficult to properly rig without breaking it. Can we change this proportion here, like alter this there? Or is it like whatever they kind of give you, you just kind of have to make it work and just give them a device like, hey, the arm could only stretch out this much before it starts to break and look like janky as hell. So be mindful of those kind of things when animating this bad boy down the pipeline. Um, there's actually a, a lot of back and forth. Um, between like mm. modeling animation and rigging um so like modeling will initially send out a model um we'll rig it and animation will mess around with it and depending on what they need the rig to do or if you know they're pushing it too far or they need like it to have a certain like silhouette or shape they'll you know they'll kick it back and then usually depending on what the problem is we'll either bring it back to modeling or to rigging if it goes back to modeling it always has to go back to rigging so we can update mm. everything with the um, rig and make any adjustments and then back to animation. So this actually, surprisingly, is like a constant thing. Like riggers will stay on a show almost up until like the end, maintaining rigs for animation because problems will keep coming up. Mm-hmm. There will mm-hmm. always be something that needs to be changed or updated or even slightly adjusted. So all of that um, will constantly be going just in circles around the pipeline. Even requests from other departments like texture, if they need different UVs on the model, we still have to, it goes through modeling and then back to rigging again so that animation can update it in their scene. And then mm. it, the new textures will work on whatever the new UVs are, et cetera. It's, it's constantly, mm. it's constantly going back and forth. Okay, interesting. Yeah, before we before we move on to, um, we talked to a rigging, rigging artist that was, uh, that rigs for like animation more, mm, like, um, 2D, like Pixar 2D kind of, yeah. Oh, oh, animation! Uh, oh no, no okay. for like for like three D rigging, but like they mm-hmm. also do something called like shot sculpting, which is after uh, the rig has gone out and animated and everything. Sometimes there's uh, deformations that happen, like you know where an arm will pinch incorrectly, and you just can't fix it in the rig. So they'll animate it, and then after animation is done, they'll like sculpt it back out, like out of a baked model. Do you guys ever do that too in like VFX, or is that some other? Like departments. Uh, from my experience, that has always been modeling, or um, there's even sometimes dedicated shot sculpting like people. But mm-hmm. okay, so it yeah, is like- mm-hmm. and, and there's also like corrective shapes you can make as well, like blend shapes that you can add to the rig to help with that as well. Um, there's mm-hmm. a lot of machine learning going on as well to kind of like teach um, <laughs> the rig that in certain poses you want it to form a certain way. It's like, it, it can get really technical and there's a lot of different ways people do it. Um, shot sculpting is definitely more, uh, you can treat every shot like specially, mm. right? Mm-hmm. To hit exactly where you want it to hit. But uh, I, I would say from my experience, that's usually a modeling or uh, some other department's job. I haven't had to do that yet. <laughs> Thank goodness. Mm-hmm. 
sounds like a lot of work. Mm-hmm. So you recently uh, worked on a couple of superhero films, such as a Spider-Man No Way Home and the one that's going to come out like in the near future, uh, Black Adam. Uh, could you talk a bit about those experiences working on those projects? Uh, yeah. So I somehow avoided even being put on a superhero show for many years. Uh, it's actually <laughs> most of the shows that like people end up working on because it's so saturated in the market right now mm-hmm. are superhero yeah. shows. Um, but I can say it's kind of cool because I can like tell people, oh, you actually know this, this character, this movie, this franchise. So you do get like some <laughs> bragging rights. But for the most part, mm-hmm. uh, superhero movies, it's a lot of digi-double work. Oh, uh, so like you make a double of that? Yeah, so digi-doubles okay. are basically mm-hmm. just, it's short for a digital double. It's basically mm-hmm. just saying like, hey, this is like a digital stuntman who will do a lot of like the crazier I guess, action scenes, like, you know, characters mm-hmm. flying around or, or actually, like, dying, body parts getting cut off, etc. Like, use digi-doubles for a lot of things. Mm. Um, so most of the work, actually, on the rigging side, goes into making sure that um, we have good digi-doubles. Sometimes you bring the whole character in, or sometimes just parts, um, and it gets comped in, like, depending on what the, the scene calls for. Mm-hmm. Um, but, for example, I break Doc Ock digi-double and that was mostly just so that um we can uh, track him so uh, there's a department for tracking where they just overlay um the model over the actual like plate which is what uh just like what they shot with the camera Mm. and Mm -hmm. um so they would overlay doc ock over um the plate and then um that would give us information as to where we need to attach the arms for him which was a separate Mm. rig and so um, that's how it was used in that scene. Because, all, you know, all the arms are going to be fake for sure. Um, but they used the real yeah. actor wherever they could in those scenes. So it was, it was, it was mostly for um, tracking data mm. in that. And other, mm. other times, it's, you know, again, like I said, for like the big action scenes, people being thrown around and flying around, stuff that uh, you can't do in real life. <laughs> <laughs> so you were just rigging the human, like the body double, and then somebody else was doing the arms? Yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting. Uh, it's crazy because you said like you, well, I don't know, I, for, I forget what exact words you used, but you avoided superheroes for a, uh, a while. Like what's, uh, what kind of stuff were you kind of doing before you finally got roped into doing VFX for one of the superhero films? It's it's not that I like avoided it intentionally. It just never, <laughs> I don't know how, but it just never fell onto like, you know, my plate. But uh, yeah, uh, I actually prefer doing like props and stuff because usually that's a little oh. more uh creative and uh there was a show that i worked on called jingle jangle which is like this netflix uh, christmas musical special hmm. like a hmm. full black cast um that was really cool hmm. and it was you know uh it's it's christmas themed and it's about like an inventor so there were a lot of cool little like toys and machines and all like the character um, that i worked on extensively was like a robot that with like lots of like little gears inside like it was super fun to work on that and i feel you know er- every show is going to need digital doubles and that's kind of like the standard like what you do most of the time in rigging but once in a while you get like these really cool props and those are just so fun uh really lets you be more creative because um everything about digital digital doubles is like already solved almost right like it's very like it's a standard human um there's like a template for it already Oh, and okay. and you just um, mm-hmm. what work goes into it is specific to that character after that point, 
Whereas uh, with props, it's always like from scratch and, you know, you're kind of creating everything you need for it as you go. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Props are more fun in my opinion. And mm-hmm. before that, I also got to work um, when I was at Framestore, I got to work on a lot of animals because mm-hmm. of uh, there was a show called His Dark Materials. Mm-hmm. And that was super fun as well. Just it, it's a very different approach. Mm-hmm. And we got to I watch his dark materials. Yeah. Um, they they have the little oh yeah they have the little um demons that yeah transform into other animals also. Yep. Did you have to make a transforming rig, or do do they just do one and then kind of comp it into the other? Yeah, they um it was mostly bringing two rigs in and then animation would like overlap them over each other. And because it's like really quick and mostly just like half a frame, you didn't, they didn't mm. show the transformation happening slowly. Right. It was, it was like a, mm. it was just like a quick thing. So they would overlay it and, and mm. comp and make it work. Uh, something I kind of want to backtrack a bit kind of going back to just like Spider-Man No Way Home. Like that was such a big film and like there wasn't a lot of information coming out until like close to like the release date. How many people were like, when people found out that you're working on it, how many of them were bugging you, asking you like what was happening or like what's what's going to happen in the film? A lot of people actually don't want to know spoilers. Uh, sometimes I would jokingly <laughs> okay. threaten them with it. Uh, but uh, that, would, that, would actually, that would actually break my NDA. Um, so I, of course, would never do that. I was actually very, <laughs> I'm very good about my NDA, guys. Don't even try. Um, but it was, it, was, it was also really like cool because, like, I knew, like, all the, the big secrets coming out. Like, but, yeah, I, it was, like, it kind of kills the desire to go see it in theaters sometimes. Because you know all the big, like, reveals. Because uh, um, the parts uh-huh. that need VFX are the big fights and the big, like, you know, the action-packed scenes and stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah. you know, the, you know, I didn't know about any of, like, the emotional, heartfelt monologue scenes, you know, when they're just talking or bantering. But I mm-hmm. knew about all the other big reveals already. So I, it wasn't super exciting when I saw it in theater. When you watched it, I was like, oh, that scene was such a pain to do. Or like, Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. You just get flashbacks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, it's cool seeing it all come together for sure. But mm. you don't get that, like, first, like, shock factor, you know, when you see things in film for the first time. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. Yeah. yeah. So you appreciate films in a different way than you normally would. For sure, for sure. Uh, so yeah, let's let's flash back a little farther and talk about when you worked on Detective Pikachu, uh, which features Pokemon, of course. Like, what was it like working on so many creatures on such a well-known property? I actually didn't get to touch a lot of the different assets in that uh, in that show. It was a uh, I think I oh. mostly worked on Octillery, and he's just in the background chopping sushi, which is kind of like <laughs> sus, but... Uh, yeah. Wait, Octillery, is that the, sh- the, yeah, that's the octopus shell it's one? It's like an octopus. Octopus, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Ah. Uh, oh, the red one. Yeah, the red right? one. Oh, yeah. okay, okay, that one, that one. Yeah. Um, that was my first project and uh, asset when I got into a new studio, so, you know, like, they didn't let me do much at the time. It was mostly just training and working on that one rig. Got it. That um, was a frame store, right? Yeah, yeah. Same one for but uh, it's it was cool not doing a biped like right off the bat because, mm. uh, mm-hmm. uh, like I said, most most of the time you just do like a digi double, <laughs> mm-hmm. and they they immediately just threw an octopus at me. I'm like, what am I supposed to do? I'm new <laughs> here. I don't know how any of your tools work. 
<laughs> uh, I'm still going through training. Like it was, it was like a whole thing for me. Oh, so Detective Pikachu was one of the first ones you've done? Yeah, at that studio. Oh, okay. And so I was still like learning their pipeline mm. and their ah. tools. And my lead went on vacation for a week, like after I showed up. Oh no! <laughs> so I didn't have anyone to ask questions to either. I just sat there like twiddling my thumbs, being like, "Okay, so like, what do I do now?" <laughs> It was super funny. So yeah, here, here's here's an octopus trick. Uh, I'm gonna be off for a week. Uh, have fun. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly, exactly. And I was like, okay, well, like, thanks. <laughs> I guess it's crazy. I I feel like I've heard before, and maybe that's not the case anymore. But like tentacles and stuff is like kind of complex um, in terms of rigging. Yeah, yeah. It's like anything akin to like a rope or tentacles or anything like oh. that. Um, is definitely like more challenging because they can do so many things. Mm. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, I guess, arm bend. Yeah, yeah, like arms are a little more rigid, you know? There's only so many ways it can bend and move. Mm-hmm. And like I said, like the, the whole biped thing is pretty solved. Mm-hmm. Tentacles are just like unknown territory, right? You can do anything. Mm-hmm. So you built that completely from the ground up? Um... Actually, no. Uh, oh, okay. Because it was like a first project, of course, they wouldn't like just had me build uh, stuff from scratch there. Right? <laughs> yeah, it like, sounded like... Oh, oh, no. It was just like... I didn't even know how to publish a rig at the time because, again, I was... I just started mm-hmm. and they just were like, here, have a rig. Uh, we're going we're gonna to leave now. <laughs> like, what am I supposed to do? Um, no, but it was a... Uh, I mean, they had their own version of, like, a tentacle rig, right? Mm. So I just, like, threw, like, a couple of those in there and was like, okay, now what? how do I put this out into the world for animation to play with? And I just sat there and waited. Eventually he came back. Is that a lot of your job? <laughs> just waiting for animation to come back? It, it depends. Like, uh, usually when the show's busy, you get like several assets to work on and you'll always have like something that you need to be fixing or adding a rig to. Mm. Um, towards the end, it could just be a lot of waiting, right? Because you're maintaining the rigs and if they don't break, um, then they don't come back to you. So you're just kind of like waiting for things to break. Mm. But by that point, usually I found that I got moved to another show while like one river stays on um, oh. to maintain the rest or something of like that sort, you know. So yeah. people get moved around um, close to the end and uh, you don't need as much manpower. That makes sense. So can I go even further back or let's go all the way back to kind of how did you first get your start working in the VFX industry? I like that we're going backwards in my time. (laughs) Um, Okay, so this is like a a weird story. Do not knock the power of connections, I guess. So I wasn't even looking for a job at the time. My friend had another friend. So I guess my friend was like a mutual between me and this other person who I was acquainted with once. I helped her on like a project in school Mm. one time. Like It was the only time I spoke to her. And then uh, she comes. She comes to me one day, like uh, just messages me and be like, "Hey, Grace, do you wanna do you want a job as a rigger?" I remember you did rigging at school, and I'm like, "Okay, sure." So I, I made my uh, reel right then on like the spot. I sent in my resume, and I easily got the job because it was me or this one other girl, and the other girl was asking for like way more money than they were willing to give. So I was just the cheaper option, and so like free job. Um, and, uh, I was already, um, in Seattle at the time. So I was able to just like drive up three hours and be in Vancouver. Mm. 
that's how I got my first job. Yay. Wait, did you have did you have to move to Vancouver or did every day you had to keep crossing the border to kind oh, of go into work? Um, you have to uh, because of like, I guess how like taxes and also um, studio like security because like uh, you, you know, you can't leak anything um, back, back in work from home was like kind of taboo, right? Mm. Um, usually mm-hmm. for VFX, you have to be like at the studio. So I moved to Vancouver. I got mm. like a work visa and I moved there. Oh, okay. Because I was thinking, like, doing a three-hour commute to work from Seattle. Oh, God, I would die. I would die. (laughs) No way. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, this just kind of, like, kind of fell on, like, your lap randomly. Yeah, handed to me on a silver platter. (laughs) So, yeah, but, so during your time at SCAD, you weren't always studying rigging, were you? And if, uh, what were you kind of studying before uh, you kind of made that switch? Um, I actually had gone to SCAD to study animation. Like in high school, I had decided I'm going to be a 3D animator because I decided oh. 3D mm. had more money than 2D. Because, you, know, <laughs> you know, I was trying to follow like the trends. And I also wanted to do storyboarding as well. So I started doing that as a minor. But they had like a mandatory rigging 101 kind of class uh, for mm-hmm. 3D animators. And it turns out it kind of clicked with me. I kind of liked it. It wasn't hard for me to understand like the concepts and i mm-hmm. at the time i didn't understand like how other people found this hard and why they were like struggling because i was like it's just you just connect the two things and it's done it's, that's how i like viewed it at the time but i didn't realize i had like mm-hmm. at least even like a mild affinity for it but the teacher said one thing uh he said that like oh yeah like you can um usually find a job easily as a technical like artist and so I was like, oh my gosh, I'm in because it's easy money. <laughs> I was just following money, I guess, right? Because um, I, mm-hmm. I already knew that if I went down like storyboarding or animation, it would be a lot more competitive. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I, the decision I made was to make my life easier. And it, it did, as I said before, as you heard, it job got handed to me. I wasn't even looking. Yeah. And I want to, mm. the point I want to get at with that is that like, there's just not enough rigors in the world at the moment. So um, mm. usually I'm, you know, you're going to be constantly getting like job offers from random people because like, they're always in need of like a rigor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, if you, if you want like a safe uh, career avenue, rigging is pretty good. Mm-hmm. You got to know <laughs> a little bit of programming, uh, but it's also very like, it's not just technical. It's also very artistic as well. Um, like Yuki mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, there's like shot sculpting and stuff like that. Like that can, you know, you have to have like a good understanding of like shape and form. You do need to know about like muscles and how like the body moves and the forms as well. Like just as much as an animator does. Because you're working with them to achieve the same goal. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it's also very artistic. But you, you do need to be a little more on like the technical side too to be able to kind of create like the tools and, and put it all together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing I kind of also find really interesting is like you said, you kind of took that rigging class and just something just clicked and you had an affinity for it. Was there ever a moment where you were like kind of trying to fight that affinity for, for rigging? It's like, no, I was, I was, I came here to be this specific position or this, this is the career path that I set out for myself when I started school. This is what I'm going to kind of stick on or just cause, or like you were saying, like, you're like, oh, easy job. There'll be money here. I'll quickly switch. Was there ever that little moment where you're like, try to fight it or do you just go with the flow because that's what kind of came naturally to you? No hesitation. Full send. Uh, just, <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> professor said there was money i went um there, no it was i actually really liked it and i like i said mm-hmm. uh, i'm lazy and uh i was like okay well this sounds easier and i didn't hate it so let's do it and so i instantly like changed my minor and i only took reading classes after that like i just banished all thoughts of going into like storyboarding or anything like animation <laughs> after <laughs> it was uh like literally that one decision changed my life and it was the easiest one of the easiest decisions like big decisions i've had to make uh mm. yeah I, I don't know i don't know why it happened like that it just did mm-hmm. it just seemed mm-hmm. it just seemed so right and then a uh, quick question as well as like was that reading class something that you had to take as a student or did you just like, oh, I need to fill up, a, I need to fill up my schedule. Let me take this reading class just for no reason. Or was it part of your, kind of your curriculum to take it? Because at San Jose State, there are certain classes that we have to take before we kind of go into our focus in our final year. That way we kind of dabble a little bit of everything. Is that, was that kind of similar at SCAD? SCAD definitely has foundations classes. Uh Here's, here's a funny one, because uh, they have equestrian majors, you know, people who ride horses. Oh, God, the equestrian and, majors. And they <laughs> had to, they were like in our drawing classes and stuff. And I'm like, how is this pertinent to what they want to do? They just want to ride horses. <laughs> um, they had to take all the same like foundations and fundamental classes as we did. So that was really bizarre. Mm. Uh, but yeah, no, like it was like a whole freshman year was all just like fundamentals and foundations. And we had to do like a little bit of everything, you know, like design classes, mm-hmm. color theory, et cetera, drawing. And and once we started focusing, like I like I said, I wanted to focus in three D animation. So I started going down that like path or tree or whatever you want to call it. And mm-hmm. there was the the mandatory rigging one hundred and one because mm. you know, like I said, animation and rigging work really close together, hand in hand, almost a lot yeah. of back and forth. So you know, like I understand that you need to go through that class, even though a lot of the kids seem to just abhor it. <laughs> and then after that, like I realized that rigging was offered as a minor. And I didn't have mm-hmm. to um, technically take that those classes because uh, I know that for rigging, they usually look at people who have degrees in either animation or computer science. Mm. It's like I said, it's it can be artistic or it can be technical, right? So they'll mm-hmm. they'll look in either either side. But like a lot of people who with computer science depart, like degrees don't even know rigging exists. <laughs> so usually it's like animation people, but mm-hmm. yeah. I, I took it mostly because I was like interested in in rigging after that one mm. class. So I just wanted to know more about it. Yeah, and it was it was really cool. Yeah, I mean the classes were small. It was like maybe five to ten total per class. Wow. Like, and it's the same like ten people every class. I feel like that's how it always is, especially because that's how it was San Jose State. Like the smallest class is always like the. The modeling, modeling class, school, yeah. you know, for us, it was modeling. We didn't even have an official rigging class at our school. We had a voluntary class that some dude who does rigging would come in and teach. And we would, like, pay him. <laughs> we would, like, collect money <laughs> and pay him that way. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> yeah, like I was saying, not enough riggers. You can't even get people to teach it without a... Yeah, yeah. It's for real. Yeah, that's the thing is you don't also have enough people to take the class because like that's the thing with universities too. You have to have a certain yeah. number of students for it to qualify as a class. Yeah, I remember every um, every semester, like our, our rigging professor, he would like make us like fill out a poll or something of like, okay, I'm going to offer these classes. Which ones would you take? And then depending on like <laughs> how many of us would like preemptively sign up for his classes even before they were offered, like, that would be the class offer Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you also kind of took a year long break kind of between school and your first job. Was that like intentional? It 
was not. I after school, I mean, there was a bit of burnout, right? So I did like just yeah. kind of rest and take it easy, and then I kind of fell into like a really comfort zone at home with my parents, <laughs> and、um, they were getting really frustrated with me. Like at first, they were like, "Okay, yeah, she's just taking a break. It's fine to take breaks." <laughs>、um, <laughs> but after a while, like almost a year later, they're like, "Okay, Grace, you got to get out of here." Like just do something, because <laughs>、uh, I I was just being a bum, and、um, they they were like, okay, here's the ultimatum. Like unless you unless you do something and get out of here, we're gonna like send you to Korea to teach English. And I did not want to do that. Wow.、Oh, wow. Because、uh, you know, like that's you know that, that's like a supposedly like an easy easy money, right? You just like go to Korea into like a countryside teach English, and they pay you well. Yeah. So I was not I was not into the idea of doing that. So I had some friends over in Seattle. I was living in New Jersey at the time, and I, like on a whim, I was like, "Hey guys, I'm coming over." So I moved all over, like across the entire U.S. to Seattle, and、uh, I lived I lived there for three months.、Um, I was just working retail to like pay rent with my friends, but、mm. I was I worked there for three months, and then that's when、um, the person contacted me and said, "Like, hey, I remember you did rigging. Do you want to be a rigger?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure." And I, I just went up. Three hours to it, like it, it kind of like fell all fell into place because I was in Seattle, which was right below、um, Vancouver, so it was like the easiest.、Mm-hmm. It, it was almost like I was destined to make my way up there. It was super weird.、Mm-hmm. Uh, That's crazy. Yeah. So you weren't applying at all during that time, like that you were at your parents or、uh... not? Like you know, I like. Half-heartedly applied to some places, but、um, mm. I think it was like the anxiety and fear of rejection, and like、um, mm. maybe a little bit of like you know lack of self-confidence in finding a job. Because you know when you read those like job apps, it's always like you need three years' experience to be an intern. Mm-hmm,、um, mm-hmm. It's it's kind of crazy, and so I think I was very disheartened from the get-go. And、um, you know I did what I did best. I procrastinated, so. I, I let I let it you know I let it get a hold of me and I didn't do anything for like a whole year. It was、mm. it was kind of sad, but hey, I chose rigging, so oh,、mm-hmm. there's always like an opportunity. Yeah, it seems like you've been doing pretty well for yourself since then.、Um, the one thing I also kind of want to comment on is that like with those job applications, that's how they get you. I remember a friend of mine gave me some great advice saying like, oh, anytime any job application says like, oh, you did this minimum amount of experience, it's mainly to kind of. Scare people off from applying who don't feel confident or who like. It worked. Yeah, it yeah, works. Yeah, that's, it works. That, that's that. That's the tactic. Like it's like, cause yeah, you don't you don't need like yes, it's always highly recommended, but you can still apply. You don't need the experience because if you if they see that you have the skill to do it, you'll get hired or at least get an interview. But a lot of those are just kind of tactics to kind of weed out people from applying. That way, they don't have to go through thousands of applications. Yeah. So just a, just advice for students or recent graduates who are applying stuff. If you see something that has like a couple of years of minimum of experience, apply anyways. The worst you'll get is probably nothing back because no company ever replies to the rejection usually. Yeah. Don't waste a year like I did. It, it wasn't even like a soul searching year or anything. I wasn't like finding myself. I was just comfy and like sitting at home doing nothing. Don't do what I did, guys. So another thing, you also took another year-long break、uh, recently between jobs too.、Um, is there ever a concern for you to have kind of have gaps in your employment? So th- that's like a, a yes, I don't know, right? So、uh, I took that was、mm-hmm. after my first job.、Um, I actually got fired. Oh. Oh really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my first job, I got fired after like eight months.、Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, horrible studio. I didn't realize I was unhappy until after they fired me, and I realized, wait, that place sucked. Um, <laughs> and they went bankrupt mm-hmm. like the next year, and they like uh, didn't okay. give anybody severance uh, pay after damn. that, and they were being sued like crazy. Like it was a whole thing. Anyway, I'm, I'm, wow. it was actually like a, a blessing in disguise because my only goal at the time was like, okay, okay, I have a job, and like it ended. Mm-hmm. Like that, I didn't have anything else that I was trying to do or looking forward to. And so, you know, I was unhappy and getting fired there, like I said, was a blessing in disguise. I took some time after that to like really think about what I wanted. So this year was the soul searching year. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of like bided my time and I thought about it and like tried to get back into some of my hobbies. Like I was trying to draw more. I was trying to be excited for like projects that I was working on. So, I, you know, I, I started like doing a little bit of like modeling and ZBrush for fun and stuff like that and trying to like Mm. see what I wanted to do again. And I decided like, yeah, actually I kind of like miss rigging and being like in a a studio environment. And so I kind of got back up my feet and this time it wasn't the anxiety, right? It was, it was actually, I was actually just trying to find myself. So uh, I got back up my feet. I, I put out some like resumes and I had two choices at this point. It was like to go up to Montreal uh, and work at frame store as a rigger or work in New mm-hmm. York City um, at an advertising studio called The Mill mm. as an intern, though. And so I was oh. like, okay, easy choice, intern or like actual job. <laughs> so I went up to Montreal. Again, easy, easy choices. I went up to Montreal and uh, I really liked it at that studio. Like, oh my gosh, that also put into perspective how bad my first job was because mm-hmm. <laughs> the studio it was like amazing. They really took care of like their workers mm. and I learned so much. They had a lot of really smart people. Um, incredible like rigors there and I learned a lot and uh, yeah I'm actually that's some of my favorite uh, rigging rigs happened there at that studio too hmm. and I missed it I might go back <laughs> <laughs> like thinking about it it's uh, not, a, not, not a bad thing to uh, keep in mind places that you like working mm-hmm. yeah yeah so yeah I was there for uh, at that studio for two years after that mm-hmm. and um, another Thing, though about having breaks in between my job is if you're if you're working internationally you really have to consider your um, status in that country so I'm working in Canada and I'm here on like a work visa like I have a work permit and mm-hmm. so if I'm and it's tied to that studio so if I'm not working for them that will affect my status mm-hmm. um, I can't mm-hmm. work anywhere else because um, of like the uh, NAFTA agreement so I usually you have to have a if you're going to be international you have to have another job lined up for when you're about to leave another uh, the studio you're at so that's mm-hmm. important to keep in mind and make sure your passport is always updated stuff like that. <laughs> no, that's yeah, that's a great thing to keep in mind. That's something like oftentimes can be forgotten or like left to like the last second. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that, that's the thing with being international. You you do kind of have to. Well, that's just animation. You're not. Or the entertainment industry, you're not always going to be at the same studio your whole career. It's just it's a lot of like jumping around. So trying to make sure that you have something lined up right after is always good to kind of to kind of do. So uh, kind of one of the other things I also uh, want to get into, uh, whether you know professionally or personally, do you feel like your cultural background kind of influences you as an artist? Uh yeah, yes and no. So like. Mm-hmm. If you recall, I said that my parents threatened to send me to Korea to teach English. <laughs> that part definitely pushed my career. Um, <laughs> that aspect of my life. But for the most part, I've noticed that uh, every studio I've gone to, it's been a really mixed bag of 
people. Like they, they have, there's a lot of international mm-hmm. talent, and so mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. I don't feel that culture is as important from from my standpoint. Like I've met people from like all over the world basically at this point. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought that was really cool is that like you, know, you can be from just about anywhere and be working together with like all these different people. Mm-hmm. And just to kind of quickly comment on that, is it because, yeah, you're saying like you work with people all over the world. Is that also due to the fact that there's so many little riggers or such a little amount of people that know how to rig, which is why they seek international talent? I would say that's probably a big part of it as well. Um, but even in other departments, you know, it's it's also really mixed bag. Like I look around and I'm surrounded mm-hmm. by like, you know, like people from all walks of life and different places like all over the world. So um, I think the effects is a cool industry for that. Like it's pretty open. Um, you just have to, you know, be good at your job. Just do just if you have what they want, like they don't really look at your your race or your gender. I've, rigging is uh, mostly male dominant, I think. But like I've had, mm. you know, the opportunity to work with a lot of female riggers as well. And so it's, it's really cool kind of like seeing that it's not so much about that kind of stuff. It's more about what you can bring to the table. Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a good like observation. because. I don't think anybody is usually being like, you know, trying to segregate or keep people out like based on race. But it is a lot of like you said earlier, who, you know, and like who they want to bring on and who their friends are. But if it's more just like focused on, hey, can you do the work? And like, do you do it well? You get just a more mixed bag, I would say, of, you know, people from different different backgrounds. Yeah. I will I will yeah. say I know Canada has some like quotas for how many international like people you can have versus having like local like there's like a ratio you have to maintain. Oh, so like mm. if you, you know, if you were like a, a Canadian like citizen, then you would probably have like really good chances. Plus like they don't have to like pay for your visa and get you through all that like bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. cuz again, like they're just by law obligated to like maintain like a ratio which is interesting to me but like the fact that i still see so many people from like all over the world is is a really good sign in my opinion Mm. yeah like Mm -hmm. i've worked with riggers who like came you know came from germany france like egypt wow wow that's crazy it's like all all over the place yeah and just really quickly too just something i felt like i should ask like a while ago is like what software what programs are you mainly using when you're doing like rigging in vfx uh, rigging is pretty much standardly all done in Maya, like oh, all across the board. Okay. Usually, it's it's all Maya. You have to know Maya very well. And um, mm-hmm. on top of that, a lot of the tools you're using um, are written by the riggers themselves more often than not. Uh, so it really helps if you have some kind of programming knowledge as well. Uh, usually Python. Um, mm. Extra bonus points if you know a C language. And uh, that lets you go deeper into like the API and stuff. It's just Maya. <laughs> <laughs> the technicality of it. I'm kind of mm-hmm. surprised. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the studios are already set up where like all the all their plugins and things work with Maya, and so it, mm-hmm. all a lot of the other softwares are not, I guess, to that point yet. Mm-hmm. Do you see Blender kind of creeping in, or no? Is Blender still not there yet? Um. Yes and no. Like, I know you can, but again, like I said, like a lot of things are already essentially, it's like we've modded the heck out of our Mayas, right? Like, we, we have all right. these yeah. tools and pipelines and things. And to transition to another software would probably be a lot of work. 
Mm-hmm. And unless something can offer substantially more, then it's probably not going to happen for a long time. So just mm-hmm. like know the ins and outs of Maya and how it works, and um, learn how to how to talk to her through the uh, through code. <laughs> <laughs> Have Maya be your best friend. <laughs> yeah, no, Maya's all you need. Well, that's great. So, oh, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, also Unreal is kind of coming up in, oh. um, in a lot of stuff. Being able to rig for for unreal that's another like promising upcoming venue so if you can like mm-hmm. do maya and unreal then that might uh because a lot of the rigs will come from maya probably but you have to rig it in a different way games are uh rigged slightly differently due to mm. certain limitations because um, mm-hmm. you're not rendering out every shot by itself it's it's um it's all live right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so uh yeah if you can if you can learn to rig for both film and game Pretty much set. Mm-hmm. You gotta, you gotta secure your money. <laughs> oh god! The thing is, I don't even like money that much. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's like, how can I facilitate my lazy lifestyle? That's basically what <laughs> my, my whole, my whole thing is. Like, just what is the easiest route I can take to? Like, and and you know, like there is, there was a bit of security in rigging. Like I during during the pandemic mm-hmm. when it started, I had like no issues. I had constantly had a job. Like mm-hmm. I didn't have to worry. It was really nice. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Grace. Where can our audience find you? And is there anything else you want to promote? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, they can find me in my house. Mm-hmm. I never leave. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I actually don't do social media very much. So, I mean, you know, my house is your best bet. Come find me. I'll treat you to poutine. Oh my god, poutine is so good. I haven't had some in so long. Yeah, I'm in Quebec too, so it's like the good stuff. Like oh, every man. restaurant see, I, here sells poutine. See, I need to make my way up to Canada. I've, there was this nice poutine place in Berkeley that I really liked, but I need to get some poutine in Canada. For those that don't know, that's basically it's basically just loaded French fries. It's three main ingredients, right? You've got your fries, you've got cheese curds, and then you've got gravy. My boyfriend, who's uh, Quebecois, he argues that it's like poutine sauce. It's not. It's not. It's not exactly gravy. It's. It's got a little more going for it, apparently. Um. But yeah. So, as we come to a close, what final advice would you want to bestow on those that want to pursue a career in animation or the VFX industry? Um, I would say you know keep your eyes open. There might be opportunities and um, possibilities you haven't considered. Like like again, I wanted to be an animator, but kind of rigging opened its doors to me and I've not regretted making that decision at all. It's, it's been wonderful. So yeah, definitely keep, keep, keep your doors open, keep your eyes open. And also mm-hmm. um, don't be afraid to fail. Like I feel like I've said mostly negative things about my career, this whole interview, <laughs> uh, but don't be afraid to fail. Like you can always get back up. You're still young. Uh, there's a lot of time in this industry. It's not like it's very physical, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's more about um, your know how and your your talent. You don't you can you can still be doing this job at like seventy, I bet. So you have time. Mm-hmm. You have time. So don't be afraid. Mm-hmm. And don't be like me again, uh, wasting that whole first year. Put yourself out there. Don't be afraid of those uh, those those scary scary job apps. They're not actually that mm-hmm. bad. Turns out. Yeah. Have confidence. Believe in yourself. Thumbs up. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good advice. Um, and thank you so much for like sharing your story and your journey. And it's, it's been really great talking to you. Mm-hmm. And if you audience enjoyed our interview today, please rate and follow us on Anchor, Spotify, or wherever you tune in. 
Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at straightaheadap. If you have any suggestions for future guests, please contact us on social media or send us an email at straightaheadpodcast.gmail.com. We love discovering new professionals and want to use this platform to boost these voices of the future. Special thanks to our editor, Ashley Itleon. And finally, a big thanks to our music composer, Daniel Rodier. Thanks again for listening. And thank you once again to our guests who will continue to have a bright future straight ahead. Until next week, have a wonderful day. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.